And that's really what drove it. From there, we did our little mock-up drawings. Scott is death with a piece of paper and a pencil, by the way. <laughs> um, I say that with beautiful sarcasm and he knows it. So, uh, <laughs> love you, Scott. Welcome to episode eight of the Canvas Casters. In this episode, we talk with Renee Carney, manager of community and instructor, and Scott Dennis, the director of community and documentation. Eddie and I always talk about the Canvas community, and now we get to talk to a couple of the folks involved in the process. We also get the scoop on the Canvas advocacy program and much, much more. Let's meet Renee and Dennis. Well, Marcus, it's finally happening. We are, as they say, hashtag blessed to introduce two amazing humans on the podcast today. Two individuals I think every single listener is going to be really excited to hear from. Scott Dennis and Renee Carney join us. Now, Scott is the Director of Community and Documentation for Instructure. You heard that right. We have our first Mothership Canvas HQ visitors on the show. Renee is also the Manager of Community. Both have an awesome team of Canvas employees, both living in Salt Lake City and also Remotely, ladies and gentlemen, got the great pleasure of introducing Scott Dennis and Renee Carney. So guys, thanks for joining us. We're really excited to have you. Renee, we're just going to start with you. Lots of questions about your part-time farm. And uh, we'll just start from there if that's cool with you. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. Um, tell us about your journey working for Canvas. And if you want to get into some farm talk, that's cool too. But uh, in our research document, you talked a lot about you know owning different animals, which was kind of cool. But tell us a little bit about your journey working for Canvas. Yeah, thanks, Eddie. I mean, you nailed it. I have the best of both worlds. I have education and technology at my fingertips and what I get to do every day. It started when I was teaching early on. I taught pre-K and middle school. Then I went on to be director of e-learning and educational partnerships at Lower Columbia College in Washington State here because I am remote. Back in 2010, a mutual colleague of, of Scott's and mine said, hey, have you heard of this thing called Canvas? And it happened to be in a position where we were using Angel. You know, writing was on the wall with that program. So decided to check out Canvas. We ran a selection at the school at that time. It was the obvious choice. So I was admin of Canvas for four years at that school and then had a few opportunities to move over to the other side, as they might say, but it was never the right fit until Scott came to me and said, I have this thing called community, and I think it might be up your alley. I looked into exactly what was involved in the community, and I was already part of it when it was on Zendesk. And it was the perfect fit. So I basically did tell him I'm not leaving my farm. And you know that. Um, <laughs> I have cows. I have pigs. I have this garden. My husband and I built the house ourselves. So sorry, I'm not moving to Salt Lake. And, wow. and he said, that's okay. You can do it remote. So here I am. Every time we talk to somebody that's in kind of the trenches with, with Canvas and, and working for Canvas, they always tell us, well, I was working in education or I was a teacher. How has that helped you as an educator have a sense of pride in like what you're building at Community? Well, I know that what I do every day makes a difference for every user. And that is really at the heart of it. It also gives me a different level of empathy that, say, someone not coming out of that field wouldn't have. You know, I can relate better to those that I'm interacting with on a daily basis. Yeah, and that's I can relate to that, too. And Eddie, you can as well. Um, both of us have, you know, transitioned from you know, classroom teachers into, you know, sort of these instructional coach, tech coach roles where we're no longer in our own classrooms, but ultimately in many perspectives, sort of 
there's a little bit of a separation. I can relate to what you're describing because that's something that we can sort of be familiar with in, in our own roles where we're teachers. Yeah. Once a teacher, always a teacher. And so I think that's what makes your work so impactful. And what we strive for in, in our roles is we've been there. Mm-hmm. So we should be able to relate to that, understand that, and then do what's best for the people that are are functioning there. Uh, but that's something that we hear a lot and we talk a lot about in, in roles like ours. So um, that I was just sitting here grinning because I'm like, yep, that's yep, I get it. I, I do at some point, I do want to hear more about the farm because um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just... I'm interested. I'm I'm My curious. wife wants to have chickens and it's not happening. So <laughs> we live in a suburb. It's not, we're no chickens. Chickens were outlawed here too. But then I finally convinced my husband to build me a mobile pen. And so I go out on the tractor once a week and move them around the yard and they don't tear up the yard. We call that rogue chickens. <laughs> New band name I called rogue it. Rogue chickens. <laughs> New band name I called it. <laughs> that's that's extra effort. You're dedicated. Yeah, that's a lot of work for that's somebody awesome. that's doing as much as you're doing in community to have to also take care of cows and pigs. That's <laughs> ah, a good hobby. Now, Scott, uh, Eddie kind of used the term. He said, uh, Scott seems like a bit of a Swiss army knife. Mean that as a compliment. From what you uh, shared with us, you've gone from being former military, uh, a crime analyst, police officer, state board of colleges, and now working at Instructure. I need some clarification on how that chronology happens. So I, I grew up in Southwest Washington, the same same town that Renee worked at the college there. I also worked at that college. But after high school, I had some non-traditional career opportunities, put it that way. I was a, a, a linguist, an air crewman, cryptologist, uh, intelligence analyst, and when I got out of the military, the chief of police in the, the town that I was from said, hey, uh, he was the, he had been the chief of police of San Diego before he retired and became the chief of this small town in Washington. He knew me through a mutual connection, and he said, hey, you used to work in intelligence. I need you to come over and be my, my crime analyst at the police department. I was like, great. What's a crime analyst? Let's go do that. And I got to do that for uh, about three years. That was a lot of fun. He sent me down to San Diego to learn from some of the people down there. And then I, I tried to replicate uh, up in Washington. But after about three years of that, I caught the law enforcement bug. I was out riding with what we called the street crimes unit. And I got to see real police work getting done and people's lives um, being affected in positive ways. And so I, I became a police officer, was lucky enough to get hired. And I worked that job for a while. And I really found myself wanting something more that was more in line with with helping people directly. I wasn't sure what that meant. And about that time, I was 30 years old and uh, I had no formal education at all. So I, I quit being a, a police officer and, and went to the community college in my hometown. I was just going to get a six-month IT certificate while I was there. And I stayed there for nine years. We became the director of e-learning there. I think the reason that I stayed for so long was I got addicted to people around me on the campus becoming bigger than they had become. You know, you see people coming on campus and they leave as a welder, as a transfer student, as a nurse. You know, that, that, that became my drug of choice. I wanted to help that process. One of the best ways I could do that, I found, was to help uh, educators use technology. So I got focused in, in, in implementing new technologies and working with technology vendors. And after nine years, I had an opportunity to go to the State Board of Colleges and work in their e-learning office. And for me, it was kind of a order of magnitude higher than what I had been doing at the local college in that I got to work with all 34 colleges to help people 
be more effective in the way that they could teach and learn using technology. So doing that, I uh, worked with a lot of different technology companies, vendors, platforms. About that time, I, I came in contact with with Instructure early on. Really felt like these guys were doing something that no one else was doing. It was it was a new way of doing business in this this market space, and I just really wanted to be a part of it. So sold my house in Washington and moved to Utah. And here I am. Mark, that's incredible. That's crazy. Uh, and you've done tons of stuff. It's hard to translate as an educator, somebody that has, you know, done as many things as you have and then like transition right into education. Uh, I had that experience right out of industry and then going into education as something like completely different, Did you? but it's got to be satisfying. It's all about people and relationships and doing the things that you feel like you care about stuff that you're super passionate about. So that's just, that story is awesome. Uh, it was a really good one. Yeah. It never ceases to amaze me like when we ask that question the diversity of of those answers now one of the many reasons why we wanted to get scott and renee on the on the podcast is because of your roles at instructure now tell us a little bit about the day-to-day uh what gets you fired up when you're when you're working for instructure and specifically the the community aspect so for me a big part of my day-to-day is getting to work on on planning and um, relationships with other parts of the company and with with customers, internal, external things. The parts about that that I really enjoy are thinking about what we're doing today, what we could be doing, what resources would we need to get that done. Uh, if we connect up these people with these people, what can happen? You know, it's pretty high level stuff for the most part. I don't get to participate in the community itself that much anymore. But another one of the, the things about my job that I still really enjoy, you know, I, I monitor the forums and I try to keep aware of what's happening in there. And, and there's a, a process that happens that when I see it, it's, it's why I do what I do. And that is you'll get people who come into the community for the first time and they may be angry, they're overwhelmed, they're resentful, they're scared because they've been using a different system or they've been doing things a different way. And now suddenly they're being in the, you know, kind of in their mind, they're being forced into this new life and they say, gosh, darn it. You know, I've used my old system before and I'm comfortable with it. And now I'm going to do this new thing. And somebody will reach out to them and say, Hey, let me help you. You know, I, I used to be, I used to use brand X and now I do these things, you know, and it doesn't happen every single time, but quite often the people who come in as those most vocally upset people, they're upset because they're passionate. And a year later, six months later, they're oftentimes the ones who are saying, you know, I used to be you. Let me help you. Let me show you. And that's that that right there makes my whole job. I got I got like tingles right now thinking about it. But that's super cool. And and I think you're exactly right. The the reluctant vocal individual that then turns into the sort of the champion with that same level of uh, of of volume and that that transition is amazing yeah. and powerful uh, but you're right I, I i don't know that i've thought of it that way like that extra vocal person could be just as vocal in a positive way given time within the community and given time with in this case using canvas and getting to know the, you know what its impact can be that's awesome absolutely scott because he's uh at our main headquarters in salt lake you know his day-to-day starts with getting up uh some days most days commuting to the office and 
getting to have a lot of these transactions face-to-face. Mine's a little different. I get up in the morning and my commute is about 20 steps to the kitchen to start the coffee pot. The (laughs) interference is the two cats that are hot on my heels because they want fed. Um, You know, that's the only traffic. I start early because I'm Pacific time zone. So I usually am up about six and starting to interact with the team as they wake up and, and get into the office which is a lot of fun. You know, it's it's a lot different than say the traditional morning. Then I get to interact with probably the best Santa's workshop that you've ever seen in a Slack. One way I can put it, we have a, a team of 12 and they all have their roles and their responsibilities down to a T and they're interacting and building and strategizing. And it's hard to keep up with them sometimes. I'm sure Scott would agree. You know, we get to Mm -hmm. interact in the community, but then we get to interact with our team who's interacting with the community. And every day we see a tremendous amount of problems solved, whether it's in documentation or setting up processes that streamline and make things more efficient for our users whether it's sharing feature ideas from the community with product when they're looking and exploring on different solutions. It's a lot of fun. It is never the same thing every day. That's for sure. Probably my favorite motivator or get what I get fired up about is similar to what Scott has, uh, but a bit more specific in that I specifically love to see when someone comes in either with passion or fear or anger, and they have a problem that they can't solve. It feels unsolvable to them. And someone else from the community, not us, not an employee, says, hey, I took 15 minutes out of my day and coded this solution for you or found this workaround, discovered you can do it this way, and then takes the time to detail that solution out. Watching that transaction is probably one of the most fulfilling things in my job especially when it happens worldwide. It's not just in the US. You know, we have coaches or advocates in Australia or Europe that are interacting with our users in the US or, um, you know, just anywhere. I think it's been one of the coolest things for Marcus and I as well on a smaller scale. Obviously, we're not dealing with the amount of users and the community that you guys have have built and and been managing. For us, it happened recently, right, Marcus? We had a few people that were connected through the podcast with our Twitter account, and Mm -hmm. they were discussing a, a situation. You know, they were trying to figure out what had happened in a specific instance. And then, like, these connections were being made. Like Scott said, like, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it again. We're passionate about these people connecting and creating solutions for these problems that other people are having globally. Um, And we've never had that experience before. So it's like Marcus and I are texting and tweeting each other back and forth like, this is incredible. Like, this is so cool. Um, (laughs) And we really get fired up about that. So, uh, you know, obviously you guys do it. You see it far more often than we do. That's what's so neat about this is that professional communities like this have always existed, but on smaller scales. Canvas or Instructure has committed to providing this platform to make it global and allow anyone in the world to help solve problems like this. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So like 2011, June 2011, I learned about Canvas and I was at a certain other vendors conference at the time. And I found out about Canvas and I got on my computer, got on free for teacher, started looking at the guides. I was up until like two or three o'clock in the morning, which is really rare for me. And I went back to Washington. I was in my house and my phone rang. It was a few days later. Uh, a man on the other end of the line says, I don't 
you don't know me, but um, I've read all your questions you've been asking in the forums, and I thought it would be easier to Google stock you and find your landline number and just <laughs> call you and give you the answer. I'm like, oh, okay, all right. He starts, he starts telling me, yeah, he, he starts telling me the answers. And after like an hour, 55 minutes, I said, you know, this is really helpful. I, this is amazing. Thank you so much. And he's saying, no, 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 wait, there's still two more questions that I haven't answered yet. And let me, let me help you. So he gives me the answers. I get off the phone and it just, it blew my mind. This guy is a LMS administrator in a little town in Texas. Doesn't know me from Adam. He's not a salesperson. He's not getting commission. He's not getting anything out of this other than we both happen to use the same software. For that, he would spend hours of his life to help me. And that, that blew my mind. I tell that story because that's, kind of one of the guiding principles behind the community. Like that's what we're shooting for every day is to help foster that kind of interaction between people. And another one was about three years ago, this man was a, he's a father and he came in the community and man, he was frustrated with the parent app. He was trying to use it. He was trying to figure out, you know, his kids grades and just having a horrible experience and mad people talked him down off the ledge and they, you know, I can't remember exactly what they had to do. They had to help him download a new version or something. But in the process of all this, this guy comments and says, uh, hey, uh, it looks like you're actually, if I, if I know where your kid goes to school, you're actually like two exits up the freeway from me right now. I will I will drive up and I'll meet you at the Denny's that's there at your exit. And, uh, and we can figure out the app together. I'll show you how I use it. And that's like gold. You can't, you couldn't buy that, you know? You know, in our research for this episode, uh, Renee and Scott, you guys both kind of talked about and spoke about um, the updates to the community homepage. And I think anytime some of this stuff happens, community as a whole, like uh, floods social media and is like, hooray. And I think I was around a few people when they kind of saw some of the updates coming. So what was your thought process behind making those adjustments? We're glad you asked and excited to talk about it. I am going to turn it to Scott first to talk about some history that was even before I was here with community. And then I'm happy to talk about the new changes. We'll start in, in the BR time, the before Renee time. <laughs> um, so way back when, like, I don't know, two, 2014. Um, what a year. Yeah. <laughs> Our, the, uh, the CEO said, hey, go form a community team. And we're like, uh, great, what's that? We, we did some real preliminary research into community and how it works and, and how we what, what kind of a community do we want to try to foster. And we pretty quickly hit on the idea that most people are not going to come looking for community. They're not going to expect it. Granted, this was you know five, six years ago. They're not going to expect there to be community. And, but they are going to have a question and they're going to come looking for one answer to one question. At the time we were, we were building the community, trying to say, okay, if somebody landed on the community homepage, uh, what would we want them to see in what order to help them through that process of finding an answer to a question? And then we literally walked from the left to the right across the screen. I have a question. I'm looking for an answer. Uh, I've been using Canvas for a while. I, I want to help suggest feature ideas and help develop the product. Uh, I've got a sense of identity in this place and I want to join other people like me. So I'm going to find a user group. You know, I'm going to find users. Over the course of the, you know, the intervening years, two things happened. One, we learned a lot more about how people actually interact with the community, how they get there in the first place, what, you know, where do they usually land? What kinds of keywords are they searching on when they come in? And also we 
developed this. We, we, we didn't develop. We all collectively, you, me, them. We developed this community together of these people, this big, vibrant community. So rather than it being primarily a landing page for people who've never been there, we tried to think about how this could be more useful for people who come regularly. And that's about where Renee came in. And you saw the community as it was in 2015 when it launched. And it was great when it launched. But when we looked at it this last January, so the team actually started the process of what we started calling Community Renew last January. A few things that we identified right away were it's busy. It's got a lot of clutter on it. Users can't necessarily see themselves in it and find a path to easily find the resources they're looking for. You know, the, the mechanisms were all there, the sorts of guides by user and, and so on. But we weren't really giving the, the UX right. that helped with that. So the team sat down in January and, and had some pretty hard conversations because we also know that Jive is a dead product per se. It's been sold a couple times and they're not continuing to develop on it. So we know we need to look for a new platform, which we are in the process of doing. And we needed to kind of evaluate how quickly that was going to happen before we decided if we were going to change the look and the layout. When we figured it'd be about a year out, we knew our users shouldn't wait that long. So we started the process of asking some hard questions and the big ones being, how do we simplify and how do we help our users to see themselves in the community, give them their identity? So we did that by taking out a lot of the clutter, as you see, and focusing in even more on the primary actions that we knew users would want, which is how do I do this thing? And how do I tell you I want it to be different? And how do I find other people like me? So those are kind of the three areas we focused. Then we said, okay, how do we help users find things that are related strictly to their role? So if I'm a student and I am on the community, how do I find things just for me? And that's really what drove it. From there, we did our little mock-up drawings. Scott is death with a piece of paper and a pencil, by the way. Um, I say that with beautiful sarcasm and he knows it. So uh, <laughs> love you, Scott. Uh, <laughs> we have a fun nickname for his drawings, so it's good. Anyways, we took lots of drawings and you know, presented them to different users that we have, especially our, our coaches who are experts in the field. They're actual admins out there in the world of education, but they have a special contract relationship with us. So we use them a lot for this kind of, of information focus group things and had a lot of fun just with colors and different boxes and buttons. You wouldn't believe the conversations that go on about that. <laughs> I would assume that Scott is not a storyboarder by any means after hearing that story. Um, but you feel it. I mean, when you go into the new community, like it's very easy to find things. I'm not immediately overwhelmed. And I think I've talked to Marks a little about that. I've talked to other people that I think being a new user, somebody that's never used Canvas before, being in a, kind of my first year and administering it on a pilot program, um, the old community 
could feel a little overwhelming. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily sure like where I'm going, who I'm communicating with, what, where, where I need to be uh, to ask the right questions. And now it's like very straightforward. Like, who are you? Um, what are you looking for? What's your experience? Tell me your role. Uh, and that's phenomenal. So I'm glad like those were probably like you said, they were hard conversations, but I'm glad you had them because it's helping the new guy here out tremendously. So well, thank you. Yeah. That is a beautiful compliment. Yeah, it, it really is. And, and just a, a little bit more detail on that, on those hard conversations, pretty quickly found that there was a struggle, tug of war, whatever, between people who use the community every day, they're very familiar with it, and they want to have a link to everything on one page. So like there's a 600 links on that page and they know exactly where they all are and they can go and click on it right there. And, you know, if you move the link, then, oh my gosh, you just wrecked their whole morning. And then on the other hand, people, like you say, that are just getting started there, it's easier for them to get overwhelmed. Um, they, they just need the most important things first. And so we were trying to build, uh, a compromise between those two. When I do go on, I, I feel like I I can find things a lot easier than the previous. Marcus does a little web development too, and I used to do it for an old corporation. It's like, we need this link here, and we need it here, and we need it here, and we, like, why is it in six places? Like, what? It makes, right. like, we don't right. need it in six places. Can we just make it easy for people to find it? <laughs> I get a lot of the, we were talking about, uh, Renee was talking about sort of the real estate and 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 what's what's there and what's visible and every, oh we gotta have the uh, you know Halloween celebration at the elementary it needs to be where everybody could see it. It's like there's only so much space here, so you've got to be efficient. And and that goes going back to the community. Uh, I can agree wholeheartedly with what Eddie said because I've seen it through the years as well, uh, probably a little bit more uh, so than than Eddie has, and can concur that the intuitive nature of it now, I think is so much more helpful for, I mean, truthfully, the, you want people that are going to be going there. People are going there because they are yeah. stuck mm -hmm. in many ways. And so what you're doing is you're trying to comfort <laughs> and make like the last thing they need to have to do is figure stuff out. They're there because they're done trying to figure out. Um, so that element of it. And I was just on it the other day and I was just like trying to imagine, okay, if I wasn't a tech nerd, you know, how would this work for me? And it, it definitely is one where it's like, okay, I get it. That intuitive nature is really helpful um, because you've got people who are kind of in a, in a delicate spot uh, to begin with in a lot of ways. I, I, I hope I don't offend anybody out there in, in podcast land, but um, <laughs> we really do cater to that person who's who's looking for help, who's at the end of their rope, maybe. As always, we like to take time to recognize a few of our most recent followers and listeners. We broke the 500 follower barrier on Twitter recently, and it's all due to the amazing community of teacher leaders, lifelong learners, and Canvas users who listen to and follow the podcast. Thank you so much. Drew Stein at DSTein85 here in Indiana. Autumn Bell at Autumn J. Bell in California. Niall Ridgeway at Niall Ridgeway in Scotland. Annette Rivas at Miss Rivas CIS in Virginia and Brian Bates at underscore Brian Bates from Illinois. Thanks guys.
Eddie and I are really intrigued by the Canvas Advocates program. Uh, we've heard a little bit about it. Give us the dirt on what the program is all about. What are the goals? And how do some of our listeners uh, learn more about the program? Oh, I'm excited you asked about that because before the um, Canvas Community Renew project, this was the other big project we were working on. And for those that go back in time a ways with Canvas and Instructure, you've probably heard the term Canvassitor. Which is what we're familiar with. Yep. The Canvassitor program is, is what the advocacy program is, but a little different. So uh, everyone asks, first of all, why we changed the name. The easiest answer to help you all understand is that uh, we needed a name that made sense to everyone globally. You know, we're a global company now and you go to different countries and you say the word ambassador and they look at you like you have food in your teeth or something. Right. It's not intuitive at all. So an advocate is something that pretty much everyone understands or it translates well. So the program overall provides an opportunity for our users, which are the actual experts out there using Canvas to really connect, nurture, grow, thrive. Uh, those words won't be a surprise to you because they're actually on the website with our product and with one another. That literally is our goal for this project. That's why it's front and center on the webpage itself. So if anyone wants to know about the advocacy program, if you go into community.canvaslms.com, there's a little search icon in the top right, and you can type in advocacy or advocate, that page will come up and you'll get to see real faces of some of our advocates that are involved in the community and outside of the community. It's bigger than just involvement in the community. It can be webinars. It can be podcasts like what we're doing right now, right? Hey. <laughs> it can be conferences. It's basically anyone that's willing, able, and really passionate about sharing what they learn and what they do on a daily basis. And then we tie some cool swag to that. So we want to see people get involved and we want to give them a way, feel like they have that um, belonging and identity with Canvas. Is that usually an application process? Like are, are folks applying to be an advocate and then you guys as a team just decide, okay, we're only going to take 35 in this you know quarter or do you take a certain amount? Like how does that usually work? It used to be, and that's really limiting and sad. So this is, if you want to get involved, you click the join now tab and I actually get a, a direct link to your uh, interest in that. So I, I get the results of that survey and I give you access to a Canvas course, which kind of tells you the three requirements to be an advocate for the year. So if you don't complete your three requirements within the year, then you don't have access to the space the following year, but that doesn't mean you can't say, hey, I want to try again. The requirements are a service activity. You're showing us or, or showing the community at large that you're serving somehow another user of Canvas. An outreach activity. So you're presenting your brilliance or sharing it out there in the world. And then we want to hear that you're actually reflecting on those activities um, and how they impact you professionally. So that's the third activity overall. We give you a cool little badge when you complete that, that you can you know, wear proudly on your laptop or wherever you, else you want to display it. And then you have access also to some other challenge activities, as we call them, or opportunities. So if we know 
there's someone looking for a specific blog post topic, or we know that a conference is looking for a presenter in a specific area, we'll post it into that private advocate space and you can have an opportunity to earn some exclusive swag for participating in that. Sounds like a lot of fun, Marcus. Why are we not Canvas advocates? Right. right. I know. Absolutely. I know. I listening to so listening to that, you know, it sounds reminiscent of of some some of the kinds of things that Eddie and I have kind of been involved with. And, you know, I first heard about it when it was Canvassadors and and I remember Megan Tolan mentioning something about it. And I had presented at a conference here in Indiana on Canvas, and I was completely unaware of such a thing. And I'm like, I want all of the things in my email signature. I want all of the things. Yeah, right. And so I, she was like, oh yeah, you should look into this. And and so I, I was immediately hooked. And uh, I think I even was, I think I was begging her to get me in contact with somebody. Uh, this is a few years ago, but I think that element is is really cool. Just again, going along the lines of championing for the thing that that you're passionate about. And I was kind of doing it just in the fact that like I knew people were using Canvas in, in my state. And I knew that I probably worked with it enough that I could share something. When I heard that there was such a thing, I was like, I need that. I need to be that. I need to have that thing. Well, I will be anxiously awaiting both of your form completions like tonight. <laughs> okay. I'm doing it right now. <laughs> both, of the, both of our windows are up and we are uh, completing them together. No. <laughs> yeah, that, that's definitely going to happen. What's it like kind of holding court over more than... 560,000 ed tech leaders, Canvas users. That's an incredible number to me. <laughs> um, when you guys made the post on Twitter, I was like, what? Half a million people? Like, what is happening? Uh, how does that responsibility really weigh on some of the decisions you guys make? Again, our, our whole reason we're here is to try to make sure that people, if they go looking for answers on how to use Canvas or, or what to do, they're going to find the official information, uh, information provided by users. You know, this is why I do what I do with the software and hopefully pretty quickly move into um, meeting people like themselves or, or finding someone that they can communicate with directly. When we had two full-time community managers and we had a thousand people in the community, we had the leeway to be much more hands-on and try to leap in and answer questions and introduce people and welcome them. Um, but even back in those days, we realized that was the wrong thing to do. We should just sort of hang back and watch and let people really sort of drive the agenda themselves. Like the community is going to be a lot more successful if we do that. As time goes on, more and more people come in where we're at now. On a busy day, we have a half million page views. We have on average, about 30,000 people a day who are uh, authenticated and doing something in the community, around 2,000 a day that are posting content, they're creating, originating content. Over the years, if I had to say one guiding principle has been trust. We, we just have to resist the fear that someone's going to do something bad, and so we should clamp everything down and make it harder for people to get in here and communicate with each other because with a few very, very, very rare glaring exceptions, that doesn't happen. And so our job is to facilitate, it's, it, we're kind of like the, the host parties, you know, hosted a party, like we're the ones who are circulating around the room, you, you know, you, do you need another drink? Uh, let me introduce you to so-and-so. But for the most part, it's uh, people just talking to each other and that's the way it should be. And I think one interesting fact that you guys, you're not deleting content, correct? No. No, we don't. We, so I've been doing this for 
probably about six years. You know, it started out as a passion project and became a full-time thing. But in that time, I probably deleted uh, three things ever. Wow. Um, Renee is the master at the <laughs> stern look. Oh. <laughs> she, will, she will send you the email that says, be kind be a human. There are other human beings on the other end of your, you know, that are receiving what you're laying down. Uh, follow the guidelines. You know, we want you here, but you need to, you need to treat people like people. Usually that's as far as we need to go with it. We very rarely have to tell somebody we need you to take that down. That happens. What Renee, every six months, maybe, maybe if that with that many people, you would assume that your jobs would be a little bit more busier on keeping the enforcement down. But we're, I guess, like we're all teachers and we're, you know, most of the people in there are probably in education and being kind and respectful is kind of what you guys do. Renee, what's an email from you look like? Uh, <laughs> I'm a little, a little bit scared based on that description. Right. I, I'm interested, like dear user. <laughs> yeah. Be a good human and you don't have to figure it out. <laughs> right. There you go. Nice. <laughs> Boom. End I'm, of email. Don't tempt Marcus and I. You know that we're already <laughs> troublemakers. <laughs> I think it's generally just a reminder that in most cases, intentions are good from people. And we often forget that. So when you come in and you're frustrated and something feels adversarial, you forget that the intentions of the other person and that they are another person, that their intentions are good. So it's generally just a reminder of that. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and don't get me wrong. I mean, we've had I've had mornings where I, I crack open the laptop and the first thing I see when I when I log, log in is 5000 pieces of spam that all point back to the same online casino website. You know, like we've <laughs> right. we've had our we've had our trials, but people who are genuinely in a personal person to person mode being hurtful or mean or aggressive, uh, we just, thankfully, knock on wood, we just have not had to deal with that very much. I mean, it, this is a community of educators. And helpful ones at that. Yeah. Like like you spoke of earlier, like this is, it's not only go to this this site to help yourself, uh, but it's it's that giving of the time, like the stories that, that Scott told, uh, the interactions that Eddie and I have had, just a couple of them so far on Twitter, where it's the exact same scenario where somebody poses a question to us and Eddie and I are like, um, we're we're here to facilitate right. the conversation. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and and I've tried. I, I I tried. I spoke to uh one of our one of our listeners on, on direct message on Twitter and I was like, have you tried this, this, this? And maybe give this a shot. What about this? But truthfully, the answer uh for that particular person came from the interaction on Twitter, you know, out there in the world. And, and so it's it's that generosity that's just so cool. And that kind of brings me to my last question, which is we've talked a lot about the community and what it stands for and what your goals are, um, not only have been in the past, but moving forward. Can you put into one sentence, and I'll start with, I'll start with Renee, can you put into a sentence or even just a word, what is it about the work that you do that really comes to uh, setting the concept of community apart from other businesses, other companies? Banana pudding. <laughs> <laughs> that out. it is delicious <laughs> like, <laughs> I love that yeah. um, 
I believe what sets us apart and it's just two words is genuine care. And my team hears me say that a lot. There is not one person that I work with or interact with on a daily basis, whether it's at Instructure or with clients and users that do not have genuine care for the individuals that are one using the product, the other members of the community and or especially the learners on the other end of the product. I would say it comes it comes fundamentally it comes down to to intention. Um, there are a lot of reasons to create an online community or try to drive people to a community. It's, it's a way to deflect uh, support costs. It's to get brand recognition to any number of reasons pe- companies will create uh, communities. When I had been doing the work that I'm doing now for about two or three years, I had the opportunity to speak with our CEO and say, hey, Josh, I, a lot of times in meetings and groups and things are saying in the very early days, we're talking, you know, four or five people at the company. These were the intentions. These were the goals. I started to go into it and he said, well, let me just put it for you this way. He goes, you can make up numbers about support costs or whatever you want to do, but really we did it because it's the right thing to do. We really, we want to help people. We want people to help each other. And that's it. That's that. There's no bigger strategy behind it. There's no, you know, market analysis, cost, benefit, whatever. It's just the right thing to do. And that's what we try to, that's the guiding force that we still try to have today. We couldn't be more grateful for the time you both set aside today to be on the podcast here um, with the Canvas casters. We're so excited to finally have um, some people kind of inside baseball, which is a lot what this was, but it definitely gives everybody insights on why the community is so impactful and being a part of the Canvas advocacy program is something that everyone should should look into and share their knowledge from afar. <laughs> I know in my experience and Marcus as well, um, you guys are just doing incredible work to make the community better for not only me and, and Marcus and the people that we connect with, but all Canvas users. And we're very appreciative of everything that you guys have done to build the culture that allows this, you know, collaborative group think on a daily basis. So again, we can't thank you guys enough. You're welcome. Very welcome. And with that, we are off. And remember, we don't work for Canvas. Canvas, Canvas works, works for us. us. Yeah.